0: Mountaineer Deshande Sylvester was the first African woman to summit Mount Everest, but scaling the highest peaks of the world has a higher purpose for her than merely reaching the top. In this fascinating account of what it takes to climb Everest, she shares some nuggets to apply to the challenges of life. If you like our work, please give us a search on any of your top podcast apps and a share on your socials. It's the Call Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. Please note this podcast is in association with our partners from the All In Conference in Quebec. The Call Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. This is just a story of a little girl who had a dream and and handed it over to God and said, please do with this dream what you want to do with it. So I'm not going to spend too much time giving a lot of the background stuff, but some of you must know that I was actually born in Kareja. <laughs> So I did my primary school years here and then my parents moved us to Jo'burg where I spent the last 40 years and then six months ago I moved to Plett. Uh So a lot of the chunk of my life and work happened out of Jo'burg and it's out of Jo'burg that a lot of my climbing started but it actually, it actually the, the inspiration for my climbing was my grandmother. Um, I think she had a crush on Sir Edmund Hillary uh, you know, she was a young lady when he got to the summit of Everest, and uh, the queen was coronated at the same time. So I grew up with stories of these two things coinciding. And, um, and so somewhere along the line, I kind of got this idea that I'd like to see Everest with my own eyes when I grow up. And, uh, you know, that just kind of led me to the point of, uh, of being on the first South African team uh to get to the to get our flag to the summit of Mount everest in nineteen ninety six so I was part of that team. If you can remember there was a moment some time ago where the South African flag made it to the top of the highest mountain in the world, and I was on that team to do so so you know it's it's a funny thing uh the Bible says the truth will set you free, but I've also found in my life that sometimes it's the absence of the truth that can set you free. <laughs> And let me explain why I say that. Um, when When I said about trying to get into the mountaineering world, I didn't know that people like us don't do that. So I didn't know that when I sort of just followed this dream as a young girl who wanted to climb mountains, that I would become the first black woman in the world to do so. So it's an amazing thing when God puts a desire on your heart, so the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So I used to think he'll just give me stuff. <laughs> but it's amazing. I think the Lord puts the desire there. And if you leave it to him, he will give you the desire as a manifestation of his promise. Right. So um, I'm not going to do too much of it. But the audience this morning saw the map of where I've climbed in the world I've climbed on five continents. Um, My pursuit is to get to the highest peak of each of the seven continents. I've been on expeditions to five of them, two expeditions to Mount Everest. I've stood on the top of Kilimanjaro five times. Um, I've climbed in the French Alps, in the Russian Caucasus, in Alaska, in South America, in the Andes, and a couple of other mountains around the world that are far smaller than the ones I've just mentioned. So, high-altitude climbing is basically when you're on mountains that are mostly over 5,000 meters tall, so that's what separates you from just uh, sort of trekkers and other climbers. Now, the juicy bits is how do you climb Everest? What, what is it about Everest? I, I'm sure you can understand there's a, a, a real appeal to this mountain. It's the biggest mountain in the world. It takes the longest to climb. To climb Everest takes about two and a half months. Uh, and there's a good two-year two to 18-month lead time of training and preparation before you get to the mountain. And then there's uh, about two weeks of walking before you get to the mountain so you can climb it. So I'm sure the question is, like, what's the appeal? <laughs> and, oh, did I mention that in summer, the temperatures can drop to minus 45 degrees Celsius? Um, <laughs> So an interesting story about this is um, when my parents uh, always used to look for me, they used to look up because I always used to be in the trees or on the top of the roof or something like that. So I think my mother kind of knew at some stage that this girl's going to try to get higher her whole life. And she wasn't wrong. <laughs> so given all of the history of my climbing, the one thing I can say for sure is that God has been a steady steady companion in all of it. I mean, I've had moments, I'm sure you can just imagine, where it looked like my life is about to expire. You know, you deal with blizzards and avalanches and winds that are 120 kilometers, um, uh, you know, and and it's just some of the things explained to you. You've got to see it. And sometimes the movies kind of exaggerated a bit, but they give a good picture of what it is that mountaineers can go through. And um, the one thing I do know is if I didn't have scripture, now I've got a little technique, I put scripture on a little piece of paper and I stuff it into my pockets and wherever I can find it quickly. And if I have a moment where I'm just, I'm feeling so like this thing is going to end me now, I just can quickly pull out a scripture. And, and one of my favorite ones is, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And. Uh, You know, the two audiences I've shared with so far, my favorite one is Psalm uh, 121. I raise my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And then I add, and this mountain. (laughs) When I'm intimidated by the mountain, I go, God made you. (laughs) And he brought me here. So, So, you know, I don't think of myself as a conqueror. I think of myself as a person who goes on a journey that will eventually be something that I can share with others to inspire, to encourage. That's really my purpose in life, is to encourage. That's my, my real job from God, is you've got to encourage people. And uh, it just so happens to take me to the mountains in order to do that. Uh, so every time I climb, I always ask myself, how am I going to turn this into a testimony? Something goes wrong, and, and let me let you know, things really can go awfully wrong. I always ask myself, this, this suffering that I'm going through right now, how am I going to turn this into a testimony? So, you know, as a result, I've become a, a motivational speaker. And interesting enough, you know, my colleagues are dumbfounded in the speaking industry because I've been doing this for almost 30 years. <laughs> and um, and they, they keep asking me, are you still using the same material? <laughs> and yes, my material remains the same because basically what I share is not... What do you do to get to the top of the mountain? What I share with people is what what is it like on the slopes? And how does that resonate with your life? Because it's on the slopes, you see, where we learn the best things about ourselves and sometimes the worst things about ourselves. That's where we learn how much we can put up with, how much we can take, how weak we are, how strong we are, how far we go before we rely on God or not, as the case may be. It's on the slopes. And then what I want to share with you tonight, because I can see my time's going to run short, is just a quick video to show you what it takes to get there, but also to give you an idea of the slopes of Mount Everest. Would you like to see that? Cool. Let's get the video up. So like I said to you, to get to Everest, you've got to walk. It takes about 9 to 12 days. And you walk through these. This is all the Amalia. So you can see a little bit of green in the valley there, that means there's still life, oxygen. Um, But the higher up you go, the less green there is, that means the less oxygen there is also. So you go through all of these villages and you meet the people who live there, which is a really horrible thing because it's like such a stark environment. But amazingly, there are people who live there called the Sherpa. And uh, you stop in all these villages on the way. Gorek Shep is like the last place where you'll find a temporary Enclave of people living there, but then you reach Everest Base Camp, which is five thousand three hundred and sixty meters above sea level. Uh, this area called the Icefall that you're climbing through now is a volatile section. they are just things falling all the time, uh, but icy things, big icy things. Um, and then you get up to Camp One, which is five thousand seven hundred meters above sea level. This area is called the Western Cwm. It's like a bowl. Camp two, camp three is about 7,500 meters above sea level. By which time you're higher than 80% of the world um, and all the mountains in the world. By the time you get to camp four, you've got 20% oxygen available in the atmosphere. And now you're basically dealing with knife edge ridge stuff when you get to the summit um, of Mount Everest at 8,848 meters above sea level. So here's a question to you all. How many of you have graduated from anything? Just hands up quickly. Graduated, right? Even kindergarten, if you've done that, you know. Channel. Um, so, so here's the question. If you've graduated from something, it means you went up onto a stage somewhere and, and they handed over a piece of paper to you, and that meant now that you're official, you, you graduated, right? So the question that I want to ask you is how long did it take you to get to that moment? How long does that take? Yes, four, five, six, right? And uh, if you get your matric, I know it doesn't get handed over like this, but the point is, there's a moment. How long does that moment last when you, when you get the piece of paper, shake hands, photo op? Seconds. So Everest is the same. You spend so much of your time, in fact, 99% of your time on the slopes of the mountain. And did you know that after two and a half half months of climbing, you'll only have about an hour at the top of the mountain? So for me, the lesson is why why make the top so much that you're willing to sacrifice all sorts of things, including your family sometimes, including other things that are really supposed to be so important in your life. So for me, the journey is about concentrating on what God wants to do with where you're at. Does that make sense to you? What is God doing while you're on the slopes of the mountain? And so the next uh, slide that I want to show you before I um, close off is how God has led me to the point of understanding that I am not actually, uh, it is my my objective to get to the top of every mountain I climb. You know, I've never met a sports person who said, I'm I'm just here to participate. Everyone wants to win, right? So if you're going up a mountain, the objective is to get to the top of the mountain. But the thing that God has taught me is he's taking me to the slopes. But more than the slopes, he's also taking me to base camp. So let me show you why it takes so long to climb Mount Everest. This, this might freak you out a little bit, but just bear with me. So there's the mountain. Base camp. You just click for me every time I say a camp. I forgot my clicker. Base camp is 5,360 meters above sea level. It takes those two weeks to get there. You set up your camp, because it's now your home or your infrastructure for the duration of your expedition. Then you go through this thing called the icefall. The icefall is that volatile section on the mountain. And you kind of go through that a little bit, get to camp one. Camp one is your first sleepover stop. Once you reach camp one, you're kind of two, two weeks into your expedition time now. You turn around after sleeping there and come all the way back to base camp. And then you stay in base camp for about three, four, five days, depending on the weather, your body, how the team is doing, your resources, and so on. And then you get some of your equipment and you, you, you recover yourself, replenish, recharge. You go up through the icefall again, up to camp one. This time you get to camp two at 6,500 meters, and you have a night of sleeping in camp two, sometimes two nights, depending on the weather. And then you come back to Camp 1 to sleep there for a night. And then you come back down to base camp to spend three to four days in base camp. And once you've done the base camp thing, remember you're there to acclimatize, recover, replenish, recharge, check in with your team, make sure everyone's there, resources are still okay. You get some of your equipment up. You go back through the ice fall to Camp 1, sleep there. Go up to Camp 2, sleep a night in Camp 2. Then you go up to Camp 3. 7,500 meters above sea level, and guess what? You sleep a night in camp three and you come back to camp two, sleep a night in camp two, come all the way back to base camp, and then you spend another four or five days in base camp. I said it's going to freak you out. <laughs> I'm sure you're asking the question why? <laughs> Now, did you know that our bodies are not designed to go from where you are now, which is ostensibly sea level, say even to the top of Kilimanjaro without imploding from a lack of oxygen? So God has designed us so cleverly that the best way to climb high altitude mountains is to sneak up a little bit and come back down. And you sneak a little bit higher and you come back down. And what that does, if there are any doctors in the room, they'll verify... That what your blood vessels do is they start to learn how to use less oxygen and transport it to your vital organs. But unless you do it like that, let's just say you want to fast track yourself to the top. If you don't want to do the whole acclimatization thing because it's boring and it takes long and you repeat everything, you are going to set yourself up for disaster. Because without returning to base camp, you will not have what it takes to climb the higher reaches of the mountain. Did you know that? So if you've ever had this scenario in your life where you feel like, why am I here again? Has that happened to you? It feels like I just keep repeating the same scenario. Why Why is this disaster repeating in my life? Don't put your hand up if you've ever been there. But we know what that's like, hey? So the way I see that is you're just in base camp we supposed to do with base camp? Recharge, replenish, recover, resource ourselves, reset ourselves. And I think so much of the time we get so impatient with our base camp moments. We want to we get out of it quickly. We want to take charge and we say, okay, God, I, I've been here two days and I'm going to go back up the mountain. And God goes, no, I actually need you here for double that time. And those of you who are old enough will know if you try to fast track what God is doing with you in base camp, you will return. (laughs) Somehow life will make you have to come back down to base camp. So I want to encourage you tonight, when we are in those base camp moments, whether it's spiritually, physically, whatever it is, instead of getting agitated that you're once again in base camp, accept it as a part of the journey. It's a part of the journey of acclimatizing up Mount Everest. If you don't do it, if you don't accept it and embrace it, it doesn't give you the strength to climb the highest parts of the mountain. Did you know that? So I just want to encourage you with that thing now, because sometimes the, the time in the desert feels long. It's just base camp. It's part of the journey. God will get you through and out, of the, other, uh, out the other side. So just to finish my picture here, so camp four, as I said, is, um, is known as the death zone because there's so little oxygen up there that even if you are alive, you will deteriorate, qu- deteriorate quite slowly to the point of death. So nobody gets to stay up there. Um, you want to get as much as you possibly can done above the death zone and turn around and come back down. So it's not a sleepover camp. It's literally you get there, hydrate, get as much food in as possible, head to the summit, one hour on the summit, and come back down if you're lucky. So that's the message that I want to leave with everyone here tonight. Um, number one, it doesn't matter where you start, it's how you finish. And like right now I'm standing and I know God is not done with me. So I'm not finished. (laughs) God is not done with me. But a humble little girl from Karicha has managed to climb so many big mountains around the world. And some of you heard my story on Friday night. It wasn't easy because I was quite a sickly child. And God just pulled me through all of that. Second thing I want to say is when God has a plan for your life, He's going to make it happen. What we need to do is show up and let God Okay, so sometimes the idea intimidates us. We're like, oh, no, I can't be doing that. Show up and let God take over, right? Show up at the mountain, let God take over. <laughs> Give it to him, right? He knows the mountain better than you. And then number three, don't be frustrated with the base camp moments. There's a reason they're there. Basecamp is there to recharge you, to recover you, to replenish you, and to resource you so that you can go to the higher places that God has in mind for you. Thank you very much, everyone. The Call Up Podcast. Where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy, South Africa. The power of his dream brings you here. LIA Productions.